Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan, and this is a carefully crafted devotional journey through the New Testament. Let's venture into deeper water as we consider what it means to follow Jesus in the world we live in now. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. Our journey through the Sermon on the Mount continues. We saw in our last episode that Jesus described his ministry as fulfilling the law of Moses, not nullifying it, not abolishing it. In this episode, we get to see some greater insights about the way Jesus would make the law applicable to us now that his kingdom has been inaugurated. For this episode, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then, come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus had an approach to teaching God's truth which was significantly different to the experience of his immediate audience. He took the stance of a rabbi, but his tone with scripture was not the standard rabbi tone. That rabbinic composure is evident in the way he opens his teaching. It has been said. This was standard rabbi fare. Teaching would begin by addressing existing matters of the law and the prophets. They tended to remain faithful to what had been said or how it has always been done. But there really wasn't much further depth to it. As a result, there was a missing element as they did this. They really didn't speak like the confident insider to the mind of God. And this is something the people actually craved. What sets Jesus apart is the follow-up, the place no run-of-the-mill rabbi would dare to go. You have heard it said, but this is what I say. Anything said from this point was freshly inspired. And the audience knew it the moment those phrases escaped the lips of Jesus. This was an inspired and authoritative statement about the way of righteousness according to the kingdom of God. It was delivered in an entirely fresh way, yet still somehow remaining familiar because it had already been said. We also see that there is a distinct twist in what Jesus says here as well as other places. But these really shouldn't have been twists at all. It had just been taught wrong. To illustrate this, Jesus starts with a relatively easy topic. You have heard it said that you should not murder. Now, if you go and interview a bunch of people about basic morality, you'll hopefully find that lying, cheating, stealing, and killing would probably be the big things not to do. To the ancient Hebrews, it was the same. Not murdering someone seemed like a no-brainer. It was one of the Ten Commandments, and the Pharisees and the rabbis were right to teach you that you shouldn't do that. But as we unfold what Jesus is teaching here, we begin to see the contrast between the righteousness that was taught by the Pharisees and the righteousness that the kingdom of God calls for. 
The way the Jews knew at the time focused on the external and final action, but it ignored the internal workings leading to that point. It ignored the spirit of the law and just focused on the letter. Because of this external focus, Pharisees seemed to treat sin as a weed in the garden that you merely mowed over. But Jesus would treat sin as a weed that needed to be pulled out by the roots. In this case, Jesus shows us the root of murder is anger, hatred, and poor intent, stuff that the law of Moses also commanded the Jews not to hold on to. Leviticus 19 verses 16 to 18 shows us this. It says, Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. There is heart-related stuff in there that God addresses, but the Pharisees had not done so sufficiently. Jesus tells us here that the presence of these things at the heart level would attract God-ordained judgment just as much as any outward action would require judgment in the world. This was even the case at the very first instance of murder in the Bible. We know that Cain was getting angry with his brother Abel and letting that get out of control. Genesis 4 tells us that God steps in with a warning. We read this in verses 6 and 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God stepped in just as Cain was in the place of decision about the way he would respond to his anger and resentment towards his brother. Jesus does the same thing for us in this passage. If we are angry, if we are name-calling, if we're getting a sense of satisfaction in calling people fools and idiots, that's kind of what raka means. If we're feeling good about telling someone to go to hell, stop. Jesus warns that it's a slippery slope from there. We're actually starting to become murderous in our heart. A kingdom disciple understands from the last episode that our righteousness has to start from within because God is seeing the darkness that's going on inside. Even though we will most likely act appropriately with our external actions, inside we will be no better than the world around us. Left unchecked, there is even the warning of eternal punishment. It seems pretty clear that Jesus is really serious about this issue. And not only do we find ourselves in that sort of eternal danger, Jesus also states that our anger and our bitterness affects our ability to worship even now. For this reason, he instructs his followers to check their mindset as they enter the temple to sacrifice. Remember, this was still their context of worship, at least for the time being, until Jesus made it unnecessary through the cross. He warns the people, don't come front and center before a holy and righteous God, making a public show of giving your all if your heart is harboring that sort of darkness. Instead, Jesus calls us to reconcile relationships with each other before trying to engage with God. We have seen this lesson already in episode 16. The kingdom of God is a place where reconciliation and peacemaking takes place. We are reconciled to God, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we are allocated a ministry that offers and expresses the same thing. 
we enter the kingdom through faith and become reconciled with God through Christ the King. Therefore, our kingdom demonstration must have the same elements to it. In practical terms, Jesus says to leave your context of gathered worship before you even try to engage with the Lord or any other believer and sort things out, if you can, with unreconciled relationships first. Unfinished business and the knowledge that somebody has something against us is our job to sort out. Our worship won't go past the ceiling if we won't reconcile with others because reconciliation always precedes worship. This is true with God because of Jesus, and it's true with others according to this passage. Jesus' teaching is clear. Don't let any conflict get out of hand. Don't let them consume our hearts. Get on the front foot. Wherever possible, sort things out between ourselves. Don't let our disagreements get in the way of our standing with each other or with God. Otherwise, they will linger. They will infect us. And we will become murderers already just by keeping those dark things in our hearts. John's first pastoral letter strongly repeats this important lesson. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, we read this. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. He goes on to say this in chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. The Apostle John is repeating what Jesus says here. If we harbor hate and harmful intent in our hearts, we are in darkness. We are murderers already. We're liars, and we remain in death. At the very least, we are not a demonstration of the reconciled kingdom of God because we are not reconciled ourselves. It's that important to sort that stuff out in Jesus' kingdom way. So let's reflect on this a little bit. We are starting to see some really strong, unambiguous lessons from Jesus here. Even in this time in history called the Era of Grace, we still see that there is a call for disciples of Jesus to live to an incredibly high standard. The Pharisees lived in such a way that the law of Moses was treated as the very limit of obedience. They would only go as far as what the Scripture said and nothing further. They did all the outward things right and they counted that as a righteous lifestyle. Today, this is known in church circles as letter of the law living. I personally call it the sinful attitude of doing just enough. But instead of a limit, Jesus makes that same law a springboard into empowered, godly living. A Pharisee says, I know what it says, and I'm obeying that, and I'm going no further. A kingdom disciple says, I'm just getting started. A Pharisee asks, how do I look right when I look in the mirror and to my audience? A kingdom disciple asks a far better question, how do I look? to God. Jesus teaches us this. Don't just get the behavior right. Get the heart right as well. Don't mow the sinful weed. Pull it out by the roots. We call this spirit of the law living. 
Hear the kingdom words of Jesus to us today. Don't go along in life happy just because you didn't kill somebody. Now, don't get me wrong. It's great that you didn't do that. But kingdom people are better than that. We don't call people fools and idiots. We don't deal poorly with people. We choose our words carefully, knowing that every word and every deed will one day be exposed and judged by God. We deal with the anger and the bitterness in our hearts, and we obey the words of Jesus to settle matters quickly. The moment a weed of hate emerges, it comes out by the roots. Jesus tells us not to even try to worship in that state. Instead, keep really short accounts before God and with people. Friend, remember this. The kingdom of God is a reconciled environment. It is populated with reconciled people. It proclaims an invitation to everyone everywhere to be reconciled with God the Father through Christ. And its members demonstrate this kingdom through reconciliation with each other. Somebody listening right now may identify some unreconciled relationships at this time. If you know this to be the case, you need to act on that. I won't be offended at all if you pause this podcast right now and made that call or visit. If you do that, then I'll be glad the Spirit has used this to prompt you. You will be a whole lot freer in your own heart if you're brave enough to go and do that. And it's good practice to check our hearts for weeds often to do an internal checkup on the relationships in our lives and the attitudes we hold towards others. If you are someone who goes to church, it might be good practice to do this checkup every Saturday night. Make some calls or do some visits if necessary. Do this rather than complaining that church on Sunday morning didn't do it for you. If you find yourself angry, bitter or unreconciled in your heart, you won't have brought anything of value to the worship arena yourself. Paul writes this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Even though this addresses men particularly, it's a good lesson for all. In context, it speaks of conduct becoming for the gathered worship setting, such as a church service or a Bible study. And in those settings, holy hands are free from dispute or anger. The whole New Testament tells a consistent story for believers who worship together. Reconciliation always precedes worship. With that in mind, let's finish this episode with a word of prayer. Jesus, you are calling me to a way of righteousness that deals with my internal makeup. If there are weeds of anger rising up in my heart, would you please expose those things through your gracious spirit, that I might be able to deal with those things the way you instruct me to. Please remind me of any unreconciled relationships in my life and give me the strength and the resolve to settle those things as best I can and as quickly as I can. Please forgive me of my hateful actions and attitudes towards others and help me at all times to live out this reconciled righteousness that you called me into. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in touch, like our Devotions in the Deep End Facebook page, and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I look forward to catching up next time.